Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast live today. We got a freaking great show planned ahead. Wide receiver strategy talk as well as a sleeper mock draft. Multitasking here on this glorious Thursday afternoon. I'm Ian Hart. It's joined by PFF's finest Dwayne The Rock McFarlane as well as resident ranking expert Nathan Yonke. Dwayne, how are you? I'm doing excellent, Ian. Uh, just got through writing a piece, um, which is always fun. And we're one day closer to the weekend and more fantasy drafts. Like, what, what, what could there not be to love, like, Ian? Like, this, this is the time of the year we're waiting for. Look, I personally am ready for week one to start, Dwayne. I've gotten my takes off. I no longer have the energy or even the appeal of just barking about random nonsense uh, throughout the week when no football is being played. I, I had about seven months of it, and I was happy to do so the entire time but at this point i feel like i've reached my breaking point i'm just ready to draft i'm ready for week one to be here and it is what it is but we got some good things to talk about today nate how are you man doing well in the process of going through basically all of the articles i've written over the past two months and making sure it's all up to date with all the recent information so if you're drafting this weekend you'll be ready to go but also excited we get college football a lot tonight Got them Buckeyes playing those freaking Catholics over at Notre Dame this weekend. I hope everyone's rooting for the right team in that matchup. Hasn't beaten the Buckeyes in over 100 years. I think we're going to keep that tally going, but I don't know. I'm just an ignorant Ohio State fan these days. Again, YouTubers, you can check out the sleeper mock draft we got going on here. I'm picking out the 101 spot, but don't want to exactly just bring you guys through every single pick of this. You can find tons of drafts that Dwayne and myself particularly have recorded throughout the summer on PFF's YouTube page, but we got a fun little 12th team ppr start me going out of the 101 here so with all that said guys we talked about quarterbacks and running backs yesterday here now to give kind of our final thoughts on the wide receiver position so Dwayne, you've done a lot of work again all summer long talking about how every single draft is its own dynamic organism i i, I need to write it down i i messed unique, up the actual tagline yeah here we go unique living dynamic organism i believe i don't even know it's, it, those words are in there though for sure like those words are in there <laughs> Like, honestly, like, like you've that. taken it to the point where I don't even need to know it anymore. Like you, <laughs> you've always got it. And that that's the most rant. That's the thing that I usually get the most common to anything I tweet. Like that is somewhere in the responses, like just that line. So, wow. Either way, it's true. And we can start a draft, you know, wide receiver. Wide receiver times three. I didn't fall into the traffic in there. Or running back times three. A lot of different options that we have on, on the table. With that said, even just where we're picking in the terms of early in the first round, middle first round, late in the first round. Dwayne, how do you find yourself, like how often, I, I should say, do you find yourself attacking wide receivers more heavily in the early rounds depending on what draft position you end up getting? Yeah, so if I'm picking in the later part of the first round, almost always, um, you know, I'm taking one. I'm, I'm, Stefan Diggs, right, is usually there. Uh, we love Devontae Adams. Early part of round two, we love C.D. Lamb. You know, those are all like centerpiece components like the drafting from the late position, especially in PPR, right? Got to know your, your scoring format. Half PPR as well. Standard leagues, you're obviously going to shift more over to the running backs because we just have far a far higher percentage of the uh, top 12, top 24, top 50, you know, um, scores are going to end up being running backs in that format. But overall, yeah, early, I don't mind going receiver. If I'm picking from middle position, like my dream, Ian, is for Justin Jefferson, you know, to be sitting there at pick six. And that happens right now. If you look over at Fantasy Pros, um, you look at the most recent ADP, Justin Jefferson's coming off the board at round one, pick six. Um, as far as, you know, just thinking about 
the rest of your draft. I think once you get, you know, into rounds four or five and six, like there are just so many dead zone running backs that we, and we went through that yesterday. If folks want to go back and listen to the running back episode, you can hear more about some of the backs that we're avoiding what we're doing in those rounds. Um, there are a couple of guys you can like there, but there's just a ton of receivers that go in that range. And if you're drafting over on ESPN, like it is absolute larceny, like where <laughs> these guys are listed in the daggum queue and the ADP, you can get Allen Robinson and round six over there, Michael Thomas and round seven, Rashad Bateman and round eight, Elijah Moore and round eight. It's just insane. The players that you can get over on ESPN. Yahoo has some pretty good value as well. I know those are, those are the, two most utilized sites um but just make sure you go check out like what does the adp look like for the site that you're drafting on that's where this whole unique living organism thing comes from (laughs) and like nathan said yesterday you know knowing your league mates just knowing how they're going to go how they're going to draft getting a feel for it but love really pounding those receivers um in the middle rounds obviously we'll take a slight pause to get an elite upside dual threat quarterback you know in round six round seven Plenty of value over at Sleeper as well in the mock draft we got going on. Mike Williams fell to the first pick of the fifth round. Rashad Bateman at the 6-12 spot. Gabriel Davis first pick of the seventh round. I'm not used to seeing these guys fall this far, Dwayne, but again, (laughs) it's like it's September 1st. I don't know how much longer that we can exactly look at the sharper best ball ADP and be like, this is going to happen at this point in the year. I think uh, exactly what you said. Just take the freaking values because there's absolutely awesome wide receivers littered across the early and middle rounds pretty much regardless of the early draft position nathan how willing have you been i guess to change your strategy in terms of how many you know or what wide receivers you're trying to target early on in in drafts based on where exactly you're picking from um early in the drafts in particular i've been pretty fine getting either jefferson or a cup specifically because once you loop around to the end of the second round and start of the third round there's still a couple of those running backs that we expect to be huge volume plays that are still available there. So I'm perfectly fine going wide receiver with Cupper Jefferson, then running back, running back. And then similar to what Dwayne said at the end of the first round, very happy to get someone like Diggs or Adams at the end of the first round and then get a running back right after that. So on middle of the first round, it's basically always a running back unless a wide receiver falls. There's so so many wide receivers that I like throughout the draft top 50, top 60 guys, I can like go through each team and find two or three guys to get at least somewhat excited about. So I'm perfectly fine waiting in almost every kind of case though. Dwayne, I saw you tweeting earlier just about Stefan Diggs, and he's a consensus top five receiver. We all understand how great he is and what his upside is, but how many running backs actually, Dwayne, would you kind of consider taking ahead of Diggs in the first round? Obviously, Taylor and McCaffrey, but would you actually slide Diggs up into that Cooper Cup, Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase top tier and take him ahead of guys like Dalvin Cook and Derrick Henry? I think it's fine if you want to do it. You know, um, The one thing you have to remember is just the elite upside that you get as far as the top end performances from running backs, right? We go back to 2011, 67% of the top three performers in PPR formats have been running backs. So it's just a matter of like what that absolute ceiling is. Yes, sometimes you can get a Cooper Cup-like season where you just get an absolute smash, which is honestly, you could argue Cooper Cup had a quarterback season, not even a running back season. Like he outscored Josh Allen last year. So in a PPR format. So I am willing to do it, especially if you don't like to take on the risk, right? of of the running backs and i think stefan diggs is kind of where that stops though right he would be the last one ian i would really be willing to do it on you know some of the other guys even like Devonte adams he's in the same tier cd lamb's in the same tier a little bit lower than stefan stefan diggs for me but he would be the one and the reason why is we know it's a pass heavy offense they pass more than the league average whether they're winning trailing tied 
sitting on their grandma's couch. It doesn't matter. It's a bye week, and the Bills pass more than the Seattle Seahawks do. Um, so when I look at that, you get Josh, um, you know, Allen, an elite quarterback, and then you know we all like Gabe Davis, but I mean we don't know if he's going to be more than like an 19 percent target share player. And folks, Gabe Davis truthers, calm down. Like he could pay off. He can pay off his ADP just as that. Because the Bills, again, passed the ball so much. Dawson Knox was a good tight end last year. He didn't really demand targets in any sort of high rate, right? He hasn't shown us anything that says that suggests he's an elite tight end at this point. And then, like, after that, we all love Isaiah McKenzie. But, I mean, he's been around a while. Is he all of a sudden going to be a 30% target share guy? So it, the door is wide open. Typically, when we see these 28 30% target share seasons, like what we've seen with Devontae Adams in the past, it's with a cast of surrounding characters that, you know, they're nice, but they're not great options. And so with Diggs, you just get it all. We've, we've seen his talent. Um, we've seen him check the boxes from a targets per route run, target share standpoint, and now he plays in this elite offense. Like I wouldn't be surprised if he got a 30% target share and he ends up with 200 targets. Because that that's we, we rarely get to see someone in this much of a hyper-passing offense get that kind of target share, but it really could happen for Stefan Diggs this year. And I know we kind of throw this thing around, oh, they wide receiver one's in their range of outcomes. Like, it's really in the range of outcomes for Stefan Diggs. And when you look at him versus the other wide receivers in that first round, I, I just think the continuity that he has over pretty much everyone other than the three guys going ahead of him and C.D. Lamb, it's to me, that's a tiebreaker between Stefan Diggs and Tyreek Hill and Devontae Adams. Because, yeah, maybe straight-up talent. If I was starting a team tomorrow, like I'll give it to you, Devontae Adams and Tyreek, I think, are slightly better than Stefan Diggs. But both these guys, I think we can agree, all three of them, pretty freaking amazing wide receivers. Let's take the guy that has the potential to get you know 50 more targets than the other two. So. Good notes there. And again, that is PPR, half PPR. If you flip over to standard, right, Diggs, I have more like as my, you know, number 12 player. I am taking Chase and Diggs at the turn of the latest mock draft I have going on. Absolutely love when you get some of those top five receivers falling to you deep into the first round. Dwayne, we talked. We've we've given the man plenty of shout outs here. Drew Davenport, go follow him on Twitter if you want some auction (laughs) advice. Give us your Drew Davenport inspired auction breakdown at wide receiver. Dwayne, some general notes that you've mentioned in other podcasts, really not looking to spend more than 20% of your budget on any single player, period. Are you still keeping that mindset at wide receiver for auction drafts? Yeah, for sure. And remember, the 20% is in a league where you've got multiple flex spots, right? So you've got two running backs, you've got to start three receivers, one tight end but you have two or three flex players. If you're in a league, which a lot of people, a lot of you folks are where it's two running backs, say two receivers, one tight end, one flex, then you can spend say 25%, you know, on your top players. So just make sure you kind of think through it. The more starters that you have to have in your lineup, the less likely you should be willing to spend a huge amount on the top end player, because then the way, the way you win that sort of league is you want to turn around and fill all those three flex spots with with other really good players when everybody else's money is gone. But if you're in a situation where, hey, it's pretty much all these starters, we don't have as many, then you can spend a little bit more on the other guys. But yeah, it's everything else is really the same. Ian, there's nothing there's nothing else to to say. Um, again, I think of it the easiest way if you've never done an auction. And Nathan, you can jump in here. But the easiest way I think about it, let's say most of you have been doing snake drafts, you know, for multiple years now. Just think of it that way. You kind of know what ADP is. You've been reading about it. You know where guys kind of go. If they're around one player, right, and you're in a a shallow bench league, 25%, right, on those top half of round one guys, that's where you would spend 25%. Once you get to the back end of round one, 
you're starting to get in the 20% range. You're in round two, you're kind of in that 20% range. So players that normally go in those areas, that's how you can, that's an easy way if you haven't done auctions to kind of think about parameters of how you should, you know, kind of cap your dollars and what you should spend. But at receiver this year, um, again, depending on the site you're drafting on, those auction values are going to be worth more or less. So if you're over on ESPN, like you might get Allen Robinson, you know, for, you know, 5% of your budget, you know, you might get him for less than that because he's so far down the list. Uh, Rashad Bateman way down the list. So a lot of the same principles apply depending on um, which site your league is using to help drive, you know, the draft. Nathan general auction thoughts at wide receiver. If you just want to agree with everything Dwayne said, certainly fair, but if it, there's maybe a wide receiver that you could see yourself, you know, breaking that 20% general rule of thumb for who would they be? And again, general overall auction strategy thoughts. Yeah, I think a general strategy, agree with everything Dwayne said. I specifically at wide receiver more than any other, like to have dollar amounts set in my head ahead of time, kind of wait the first couple wide receivers, see if the league I'm in is spending more or less than I would expect at wide receivers. So I can kind of fairly value from there and then just have the price tag at each wide receiver. If it hits that price tag, go ahead and get them. If not, then wait for the next one. And there's so many ones that I'd be okay getting, but um, this year, just with Jefferson and Cup, I think they're both in store for excellent seasons. So I would feel a little more comfortable spending more on them than maybe the 20%, but that very much depends on the league size and all those parameters. I had a high school teacher who would just answer basically every question with, it depends. And little did I know that my fantasy football career would end up, you know, answering that, answering a lot of questions myself with that same uh, answer. But hey, sometimes it just depends, guys. Guys. Good strategy talk. Dwayne, who's your favorite sleeper with an ADP outside the top 100? And we're using Fantasy Pros, Consensus, ADP. If you're balking at us, how the hell is that guy available outside the top 100? Good. Take him in that case. That's a good sign that you should be – that's a value. That's what we call a value or a sleeper, everyone. Don't be yelling at us. Be yelling at the rest of you out there that aren't drafting him early enough, okay? So with that off my chest, Dwayne, favorite <laughs> sleeper outside the top 100. Yeah. So outside the top and I've softened a little bit like on this one, but I'm like, I'm just not going to take it too far, but it is Kadarius Tony. I mean, you can still get him at pick one Oh eight. Um, he's wide receiver 46 coming off the board in PPR formats. And so the thing with Kadarius Tony that makes it so tough Ian um, to pass him is like, when we look at the analytical side of it, like he checks every box. Like, so if you're an analytics pro quote unquote, <laughs> you know, you love Kadarius Tony because you're like, Holy crap, 26% targets per route run. Look at his yards per route run. Look at his PFF receiving grade as a rookie. All those things. When you line them up, they look really good compared to like guys that have gone on to just completely smash fantasy seasons. Now, it was on a limited sample size. Why? Because Kadarius Tony can't ever stay on the freaking field, right? And so that's a challenge. But if you're a film bro, you love Kadarius Tony too because when you go watch him, there's just something different. You're like, holy crap, like most receivers, even the NFL, can't do like what he just did. They can't completely turn around, you know, like the best cornerbacks in the league, uh, Marshawn Lattimore, all these guys, like just completely twisting them out of their shoes. And then once the ball's in his hands, does the same thing. He's like, it's like a video game. So... He's just one of these guys. Yeah, I'm a little worried that he's not going to be able to stay healthy. He's going to end up in the coaching doghouse. But at the same time, like Kenny Galladay is in the doghouse too. Sterling Shepard's still coming back, you know, from an injury. Um, Wandell Robinson, you know, we like him. He's a rookie, but he's a small guy. He's going to play the slot. Like, I, I don't know how good Wandell Robinson's going to be. I mean, we like him as someone we, we take later in drafts, but I just feel like it's going to be really hard this year in particular for them, 
you know, to not have have Tony on the field all the time as long as he's healthy, even if he might be rubbing coaches the wrong way. So I just feel like the upside is so huge. He is the one guy. Like when I look down past pick 100 and think, yeah, there's risk, but I know the talent's there. The film matches it. If everything works right, he could get 150 targets and you're getting him after pick 100. And, and they're not just nasty targets either, right? They're being forced. They're like, oh my God, he's got the ball again. Look at what he's doing. So it's, 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 I'm kind of conflicted because I am worried about the injuries, but man, it just stacks up too well for Tony. The uh, Mike Renner induced PFF draft guide note for Kadarius Tony when it was coming out was that basically Mike said that if every single prospect had to play a game of tag, you know, Kadarius Tony would be his pick to be the last man standing at the end. And that's what you see from him. I mean, again, and it really, I know we always look at the Cowboy game, and that was actually when Mike Glennon was under center for most of it after Daniel Jones got hurt. But we saw it the week before in the Saints game was really when he started to flash. And then even, man, he only played like 10 snaps or something against the Rams the following week, but already, you know, is that like three. 39 uh just briefly into the game so Kadarius it's Tony, like um it's be like healthy Darren, man. It's, come on it's like it's like darren sproles or something like I, I haven't you know his ability to evade tackles like it's just it's it's nuts it truly is nathan favorite sleeper outside uh, of top 100 i think i'll go with tyler boyd with no you can't that was mine <laughs> well with him in the slot in Cincinnati, he's fairly consistently been a fantasy starter throughout his career, and I know they have Jamar Chase and T. Higgins, but they run 11 personnel almost more than any other team, so Boyd will constantly be on the field. Um, over the second half of last year, when both Chase and Higgins were top 10 fantasy wide receivers, Boyd was still in that top 30 range, so they can support all three wide receivers. The defenses will be focused on the outside guys. And probably the biggest thing is that there isn't that injury to either Chase or Higgins. Boyd can play in two wide receiver sets, so he would see the field even more in those situations and be get, catching passes throughout the year from one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. So um, I think he probably doesn't have that top 10 upside unless there's an injury, but I think you can get him fairly late and just stick him in your fantasy lineup and still be happy with it. People okay. don't want to draft him. Ian and I have been in so many drafts and we're like, Tyler Boyd's still here? Like, why haven't we taken him? <laughs> it, it, it continues to amaze me. In the draft I just did, he actually went in a decent area right after Julio Jones, ahead of guys like MBS, Russell Gage, and uh, Rondeo Moore, among others. But not a given, Dwayne. We got him, like, outside the top 60 in one of these drafts we were yeah. doing. And look, at Tyler Boyd, like, okay, if both Chase and Higgins stay healthy – I, I understand the ceiling's not going to be there, but we're talking about someone ranked outside the top 50, 60 wide receivers. He was wide, literally the wide receiver 36 in back-to-back seasons in terms of PPR points per game. And I know we can't always look at a number three wide receiver, number four wide receiver, like we do a running back. Handcuff wide receivers, it's not nearly as smooth of a transition uh, to running back. We know that our wide receivers need to be far more talented necessarily than a running back that just gets thrown in there and gets a bunch of volume with all due respect to you, Dearness Johnson truthers out there, but yeah. So you guys took a couple of the number three wide receivers. I think have this quote unquote handcuff upside in the passing games, just to list some of these guys, because again, it's gotta be a wide receiver three that we think is talented. And we think is in a good enough passing game where we actually want to have the number two, number three wide receiver involved in that. So I had written down Isaiah McKenzie, Tyler Boyd, good call. Joshua Palmer over there with the Chargers, KJ Hamler with the Broncos, Jalen Tolbert with the Cowboys, already uh, seeing some of the benefits of having Michael Gallup sideline. K 
KJ Osborne with the Vikings, Russell Gage with the Buccaneers, Rondale Moore, undisclosed injury, doesn't match my priors, so I'm ignoring it for now. And then also maybe Sky Moore, depending on how things shake out in Kansas City. Nate, any anyone you think I'm missing here? Again, this kind of wide receiver three handcuff type of guy that has maybe more uh, maybe more untapped upside than people are giving them credit for. Um, I think that's a fairly good list. Like my brain still goes to the Broncos with Tim Patrick and I'm like, no, he's out for the year, but if the Broncos had an injury and Tim Patrick magically got healthy, but no, I think that's a fairly good list of the handcuff wide receivers. It, I, I say this like every podcast at this point. I'll keep saying it. I don't care. Like the fact that Judy and KJ Hamler's ADP hasn't changed more with the Tim Patrick news is it's just wild because I think we were looking, we were going to be looking at much more of a four wide receiver rotation with everything going on. So to lose Patrick and I mean, don't forget, Judy did have those kind of random uh, legal issues popping up this offseason. It didn't amount to anything. And I think he was proven fully innocent. Just saying there was some uncertainty there. KJ Hamler, we had no idea if he'd even be ready for week one, let alone looks like he's probably going to be the starting number three wide receiver. A lot of things have gone Judy and Hamler's way this offseason that I don't think have exactly been baked in. Dwayne, any thoughts on that list? McKenzie, Boyd, Palmer, Hamler, Tolbert, Osborne, Gage, Rondale Moore, Sky Moore. I mean, look, we're seven football guys drafts deep. I mean, I, I'd love to see our exposure for these guys because it seems like these are the targets that once we get to rounds, you know, 11, 12, repeatedly we're going after. Yeah, no, this is the list, man. And we, and we love them all. But I think the biggest point, you know, is what you mentioned. KJ Hamler, like, just hasn't come up the boards far enough. He did play, uh, you know, the final preseason game, which was good just to see him back there. I mean, he's basically a year removed from the ACL injury. I believe it was week two of the 2021 season. So just nice to know that he's going to be out there. Um, they released Kendall Hinton. I think they did bring him back to the practice squad. But if you just look at the depth chart, all of a sudden with the Broncos, it's like, well, we really have Sutton and Judy. We've got a lot of questions about Albert O at this point. And KJ Hamler is by far like when I just think of a pure from a pure talent perspective, like he's the next man up. And, you know, really with Sutton and Judy, we like them, but neither one of them have shown us for sure. Right. That they're going to be smash prospects, you know, so they've both had they've both put up some nice, nice, like underlying data points. Sutton did have one nice year. But at the end of the day, like we could look up and even without, you know, this being, quote unquote, handcuff, we could see KJ Hamler surprise us and just be the wide receiver, two on this team by like week five or six with Russ Wilson and just the, the skill set fit. So I love the call on KJ Hamler. Um, it's really hard not to just honestly, it's hard to not draft him every single time we draft together because we're looking up. We're like round 15, KJ Hamler, who says no, nobody says no. You just take him like he should be around 12 to 13 pick pro football focus new app. we got our draft guide on there. You can actually see all of our pick by pick round by round strategy with our rankings for every single player out there. We actually have Gabriel Davis all ranked within two overall spots. Uh, I believe I'm not sure who's actually the highest, but it's 51, 50, 52 and 53rd overall freaking Kevin Cole's going to be a downer here, but we got the three Gabe Davis truthers all in the same stream yard at this point in time. Nathan, what gives you confidence? And I guess uh, jumping onto the Gabriel Davis hype train, because I'm not so sure there's been you know a wide receiver just more discussed on a day-to-day basis than him throughout the offseason I think it's because we have confidence in his role and while it's been on a smaller sample size he's performed well when given the opportunity um just the fact that the Bills had a number of wide receivers last year that they were kind of rotating some guys in and out where this year it seems a lot more set that there are four guys at the top of the depth chart and two of them play more so in the slot so 
Um, Gabriel Davis should see a vast majority of offensive snaps. I don't think he'll be leaving the field that often. And he's performed really well every time he's been given the opportunity. So I think the combination of talent and opportunity is there, plus the offense that he plays in is obviously a huge plus for him. So combination of all those things, I think he has a decently high floor because of the offense he's in, but the talent that we think he has can push him even higher. Talent, opportunity, great offense. Dwayne, is that something that you might be interested in? I mean, what are we missing here? Why do we spend so many damn hours discussing Gabriel Davis this offseason, especially after the draft, after free agency, when we could just see that really the competition wasn't going to be there? Like, how does Gabriel Davis bust, Dwayne? Because you mentioned it before. Even if he does only get this 18 19% target share because of how damn much the Bills throw the ball, it, we're still looking at someone where, like, what's his, like, what should be his target projection over under like 95 or something? I've got it at 105. You know, okay. that's what I think his median is. That's at an 18% targets per route run and 85% route participation. Nathan nailed it. I mean, if you look at it last year, like he didn't get to that 85% participation mark, which is typically what a receiver that plays, you know, most of the downs, that's where they're at. Um, he didn't get to do that until very late in the season. And then even once he did that, like his actual targets per route run over that stretch went up. It was actually 21% targets per route run. Um, I think the thing with Davis, like, I'm not quite as sold on his talent profile. Like that's where I think the question is, right? But at the end of the day, he plays with Josh Allen. He plays in an offense that's going to throw the ball a lot. And if he doesn't take any step forward, he just stays the same Gabriel Davis we've always known because that's what everyone argues. Oh, he can't take a step forward. Well, if he just can do what he has done, like over the last, you know, what he did at the end of last year, he would be in a great situation, you know, to get at least 105 targets. And they're quality. These are quality targets. Like a, a target from Josh Allen is worth a lot more than a target from, I don't want to say Geno Smith because we've been trying to be a little nicer to him. Yeah, come know, on. Uh, Baker Mayfield. I know you're always okay with Baker Mayfield. <laughs> but like with, with Josh Allen, like, look, man, you're, you're just playing with a great offense. I do agree um, that overall, like his, his talent profile is less than a coin flip. Like if we want to use his PFF receiving grades over his first two years, yards per route run, targets per route run, his draft capital is round four. His comparisons are Darius Slayton, James Washington, Devin Funches, Torrey Smith, Reuben Randall, and Jermaine Curse. That doesn't do a lot for you, right? So that doesn't mean, though, that he just can't hit. Where I'm out on Gabe Davis is, like, you just get in some drafts where you just can't get him, man. Like, he goes in round – I saw him go in round three last weekend. Um, see him go really early in round four in a lot of these drafts. I'm much more comfortable with Gabe Davis when he slides into round five. I, whenever I'm sitting there at round four – and I could take him on Ross St. Brown. There's just so many other guys that I'm like, I just, I feel much more conviction around because talent profile still is the number one thing for me with receivers. Um, like you mentioned a minute ago, Ian, it's much more important for the receivers than it is for the running backs. Again, no, no disrespect to you folks out there, you know, on Dearness Johnson. We got you. We got you. Um, so, yeah, I'm, but Nathan, at the end of the day, even though we may feel a little bit differently about his talent, where we're ranking him is the same, you know, because also the way Nathan's doing his projections, he's probably got a similar target share to what I have projected for him. And I'm comfortable with that. Now, here's the thing. What if he does take a step forward? Like if he all of a sudden turned into say, you know, uh, say just a 22% targets per route run guy, he was 21% at the end of last year when he took over. If he's out there for 90% of the routes, which is easily attainable, that'd be 136 targets. If at 95%, which is also easily attainable, if you look at this offense and the other receivers they have, that'd be 144 targets. And again, 22% targets per route run, it's, it's good, but it's not like elite. Like So that could still be in his range, and I think that's where people just get a bit twisted. They think everyone's trying to say, oh my God, Gabe Davis is the next X. 
I don't really, there are probably some people saying that, but I don't think anyone on this podcast is saying that. We're just saying, look, like he could still, there could be problems from a talent standpoint. But it's just going to be hard to miss in this particular offense, um, you know, with the Bills. I really just think it's as simple as, hey, this guy's looking at 100 plus targets from Josh Allen. Like, what, what else do we need to even talk about at this point? But he is one of those receivers, Dwayne, that we've talked about, you know, ESPN, Yahoo. There really does seem to be a bigger discrepancy between Gabe Davis in the sharper drafts and in, you know, your quote unquote home league room. So, got a nice question from Kyle Gabe Davis or Allen Robinson, Nathan? I think I have Gabriel Davis just slightly higher. Dwayne? Allen Robinson. Wow. Well, I guess I got to be the tiebreaker here. Let me see who I got. I believe. <laughs> <a good> look. <laughs> I believe I got, I got really Gabriel close. Davis. Dude, I, I, it's a great question. They're right next to each other. Yeah, I, have, yeah. I actually have Robinson higher by one spot. Oh, oh there you whoa. go. Nathan. But they're close. Know. They're close for me, too. Yeah, they're they're close exactly for me too. next to each other. I don't like on one like that. If I'm like, look, if, if you guys are asking that question, they are really close. Like take the one you like, yeah. you know, they're, they're close enough. We, we probably all have them in the same tier too. So nothing wrong with that. As I add Allen Robinson to my queue over here. All right, guys talked a little bit. Gabe Davis, another two players where haven't exactly had the same sorts of conversations, but we've seen kind of their value dip and rise just based on kind of the new information we've gotten about them. Chris Godwin, Michael Gallup. At certain points of the offseason, it was like, we might not see these guys until November. Now suddenly, I believe I saw Tampa Bay beat reporters say there's a 55-45 to 45 chance of Godwin playing. I love that he didn't pull out the 50-50. We got 55-45 there uh, in week one. Meanwhile, Jerry Jones saying if week one was a Super Bowl, Michael Gallup could be out there in his own right. So, I've been drinking the Goblin Kool-Aid to a decent extent. Once we saw that he wasn't going to be on the pup list, I moved him and Michael Thomas, you know, into kind of the low end wide receiver two range. In terms of Michael Gallup, I mean, we got that early kind of training camp report where he just said it's not realistic. He can be out there week one. But now it sounded like with him not on the pup list, maybe not week one, but it could be week two, not like week 10, like uh, it was necessarily sounding like. So, Nathan, how have you adjusted to the injury news with these two players uh, throughout the offseason? And who do you find yourself? I mean, obviously, Goblin's going to be ranked higher. He should be because of the ADP. But are you more confident, I guess, at value taking on Chris Goblin or Michael Gallup right now? Um, probably Chris Godwin. I mean, I think that's mostly because of what I feel about the Buccaneers offense versus the Cowboys offense. Um, just looking at Godwin's stats these past two years, whenever Antonio Brown hasn't been playing, um, Godwin's basically been a top 10 fantasy wide receiver, which I know Tampa Bay has added some replacements to help offset the loss of Antonio Brown and Rob Gronkowski, but neither of the players that they've added were playing nearly as high of a level as the Brown and Gronkowski had been playing. So I could see Godwin, once he's healthy, being a very, very good wide receiver, where Gallup, I have troubles with the Cowboys' offensive line and everything else going on with the offense. So, And Gallup just doesn't have nearly the same history as Godwin has. So I'm fine picking him if he's falling, but I'm not going out of my way to pick Gallup. It is unique, Dwayne, where we have this group of wide receivers. We can throw DeAndre Hopkins in there, too, where – these are guys where once they're healthy, once they're good to go, like we know for a fact they're going to be ranked rounds ahead of where we're taking them right now. We're not having to take, you know, the same sorts of leaps of faith with guys, you know, Isaiah McKenzie, the Rondell Moores of the world. Overall, I guess, willingness to take Chris Goblin in that basically round five, round six range where you're going to have to take him probably to feel confident about landing him. Yeah, so, I mean, with Godwin, we were actually doing that together in some of our drafts. We were taking him um, in round five. 
Um, I'm okay with it, but I feel like I've kind of gotten to the point now where I have plenty of exposure. So that's, that's probably not a good answer for like everybody listening. Um, so it's like, I'll do it, but I don't feel the need to, to jam it. Like I've actually moved him down. I put him, I put him, I moved him down last week into wide receiver three territory, just because the more and more we, as, as we got closer and closer to season, even when you, when you read Todd Bowles quotes, like I always, when you see somebody say something, you know, a headline, you know, so-and-so is going to play, not going to play. And then you go read the actual quotes from the coach or whoever. And you're like, this doesn't even like match up with like this headline. <laughs> and all Todd Bowles has been saying is, well, he's going to be really hard to hold back when he's healthy. Well, no shit. Like <laughs> we, we know that, but when's he going to be healthy coach? Like we don't know. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think it's all guesswork right now on the Bucks beat reporters. They're doing the best job they can, you know, with the information that they have, but he has still not been in a practice even where he has been allowed to take contact. So that's worrisome to me. I, I think it's going to be a challenge for him to be on the field in week one. I think additionally, it was just such a late season injury. The more I've thought about it, Ian, it's just like, how long before we get Chris Godwin to 100%? We may not see 100% Chris Godwin this year. Now, 90% Chris Godwin with Tom Brady is still, is still probably, to Nathan's point, a better than 150% Michael Gallup, right? Because he's just he's just a better player. Um, so I'm not forcing it in round five. I like him a lot better when I can get him in like round six, whenever he slips back around to me there. There's just plenty of other guys that I still like um, in, in the fifth round. Nate? You have more hardware to back up your rankings than Dwayne and I combined, the rest of uh, PFF crew and all that. I like to think that we know what we're talking about, but you do put your name, put your reputation out there. And obviously, you know, again, with, as everyone can see in your lovely Twitter profile picture, you're just raking in those fantasy pros trophies year after year after year. With that said, I've had several not not angry subscribers, but questioning subscribers look at your CD Lamb ranking and ask what the hell is going on here Nate, do you have a personal vendetta against C.D. Lamb? Why is he ranked so low, man? I have him ranked better than he's ever done in fantasy football ever before. Ah, come on, we're playing in 2022. Uh huh. So, like the main <laughs> arguments for him is Amari Cooper is gone, and he is a young, talented wide receiver, and we expect those kinds of players to improve over time. Which I have him near the bottom of my top ten wide receivers right now. Um, I don't think he has quite as much talent as some of the other wide receivers I have ranked ahead of him. I think he definitely is capable of reaching that level. But um, I mentioned yesterday when we were talking about running backs, definitely a lot of trouble with the Cowboys offensive line. They lost two of their top four players. Um, One of them is injured for most of the year. The other is still on the wrong side of 30 years old. So um, that's not great. A bunch of other players on the Cowboys offense only getting older as well. So, um, I have those troubles. I can see uh, Lamb's target share probably getting a little bit higher this year, but it was still already in the low 20% last year. And so i projecting him to see more targets than he's had, but um, he more often than not, like last year, wasn't having great fantasy performances. I think nine out of his 16 games um, under 60 or so yards and no touchdowns in all of those games either. So Um, We certainly hope that he's able to step up, but there's also going to be defenses that are going to be focusing more on him because Cooper is not there anymore. So who else are they going to focus on at wide receiver? So um, I think he'll definitely have a good season. I have him in the top 10. I just other wide receivers that I like more than him that I think have higher chances of being a top five wide receiver this year. 
it is funny how I'm like, how, how do you hate CD Lamb so much, Nate? And you know, he, you have him as a top 10 wide receiver, it's just a matter of <laughs> top 10 versus top five. Dwayne, I will say, have we not given enough to Nathan's point about the offensive line injuries and not having Cooper in there? We've moved Dak down for these reasons. Uh, someone that we were more confident, I think, as the top eight, top nine quarterback earlier in the offseason. Now, at least I have him, I believe, quarterback 11. He's become someone that, as we talked about in the quarterback episode, we're not necessarily going out of our way to get. Have we not given enough consideration to Dak's fall off impacting CeeDee Lamb? Or, Dwayne, do you think there's just too much volume for a talented player to really bust? Um, I mean, yeah, we moved Dak down, but more because he just didn't have multiple weapons, right? But it doesn't necessarily hurt Lamb. Um, <clears throat> my thought is, like, if you want to take Devontae Adams of, in front of him, like, you're obviously going to take Stefan Diggs in front of him, all the other guys that go above that. But I think once you get past Adams, like, he's in play because everybody at that point has questions, right? We've got Tyreek Hill moving to a new offense. He's got to, he's got to share the load with Jalen Waddle. They could run the ball more. Debo Samuel's playing with a quarterback that may not be able to complete a pass. They could be completely run heavy. You got to still with, deal with Brandon Ayuk. You got George Kittle. We get to A.J. Brown. The Eagles were a run-heavy team last year, right? They got Jalen Hurts, who people have questions about as quarterback. Now you've got, um, you know, even more targets, you know, with where you got Dallas Goddard. You got Devontae Smith, who was a first-round pick. So I think it's one of those deals where I agree with Nathan. I didn't put Lamb in the very top tier because, to his point, like he has not completely smashed, you know, from a standpoint of targets per route run. But there's also a very similar story here to what we just talked about with Gabriel Davis. So if you look at CD Lamb, most wide receiver ones, if you look back like over the last three years, um, as far as, you know, their route participation goes, you know, they're typically out there you know, over 90%, they're or like over 88% is the average for a wide receiver one. If you look at CeeDee Lamb over his first two years, because Dallas rotated the receiver, they did to, to all the guys. None of these guys were at even 85%. You know, he's been at 72% and 76% route participation. So that number this year is probably going to be over 90%. So on that alone, if he keeps his 22% targets per route run, even if Dallas takes a step back as an offense, they're still going to have to throw the ball as much as they're going to have to throw it. They're probably still going to run plenty of plays, that is going to be something that's just going to be that alone is enough of a buffer for me to be like, okay, I'm going to go ahead and put him over Higgins. I'm going to go ahead and put him over Hill, Samuel, AJ Brown, all those guys, just based on being able to be out there more. Then if he does take the step forward, right. As a receiver and his underlying data points to Nathan's point has not been as strong as like, say a Justin, Justin Jefferson's like out of this world, right. CD lamb's been really good, but not out of this world. But if you historically go and look back at the receivers that have had two top 24 finishes, have done some of the other things that C.D. Lamb has done, especially if they've got first-round draft capital, most of them go on to have a smash season at some point. So I kind of put him there in that middle dividing line of like, okay, the routes alone are going to make him at least equal to the guys I have below him. But if he does take the step forward, he's going to blow those other guys away. So I, I think Nate, everything Nathan said is right. I'm just kind of the way I'm positioning in my ranks is just really calculating for the more routes. I, uh, I was doing this Bleacher Report stream a few weeks ago, and I was just going through my top 10 wide receivers, and I had CD one spot ahead of Devontae Adams. And I, people were losing their damn minds over this. And it's like, guys, come on. It's it's a one-spot ranking difference. Like, we're talking about two talented players here. But it is – CD does – maybe it's just a Cowboy thing, man. But I feel like uh, – not quite as volatile as uh, Gabriel Davis this offseason, but everyone seems to have a strong opinion on C.D. Lamb. Hopefully, you know, his 2022 season looks a little bit more like the first half of 2021 as opposed to the second I do half. get it. I do get it with Adams. I think that's the one name if people wanted to have an issue with, of you having Lamb over. I think that's the one. I think yeah. once you talk about all the other guys that we mentioned, there's enough questions that it's like, okay, like 
it's going to get pretty close with all those other guys with, with Adams. He's just done it for so freaking long. I know we now have Waller and we have Renfro, but I mean, he's still probably a lock for 25% target share, right? He's not going to get 30. Like it ain't happening. So that that's the one name because Adams has proven it for so long that I would say, okay, fine. If someone had a real issue with my ranks, fine. Just and to your point, it's one spot apart. Just take Devonte Adams and leave me alone. That's what I'm saying. Like, if you want to take Devontae, okay, I see it. I'm not calling you crazy. I'd appreciate it if you don't call me crazy as well. Uh, we have our reasoning there. Nate, just last kind of hole, not, not hole in your rankings. Again, you know what you're doing here. But <laughs> last thing that looking through your rankings, that kind of popped off to me. You're pretty low on both Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy. I also noticed with the PFF projections that, you know, our lovely resident doctor, Eric Eager, isn't exactly the highest on the Broncos passing game in general. What are your overall expectations for Russell Wilson and company, uh, Nathan? Because it could be a situation where, you know, maybe we are just a little bit too obsessed with the new shiny thing out there. And uh, yeah, so overall thoughts on, I guess, Russell Wilson and company in Denver. Yeah, so I think um, in general, the team will have a good season. I think both what I'm doing and what our data scientists are doing is projecting out who the or how many passes the team's going to have, how many targets the receivers will get. Um, one thing I think in general I'm somewhat high on is uh, the Broncos passing more to the running backs than they have in the years past. A lot of that has to do with the coaching staff, uh, what the coaching staff has done in the past, what they have said. And I could see uh, Williams in particular getting a lot more targets this year than he did last year, which the more targets there are to the running backs, the fewer the targets there will be to the wide receivers. Um, I also know we were talking about KJ Hamler earlier. I think the gap between Hamler and the other wide receivers um, isn't quite as big as some others think. So I also think Hamler will have a decent season, even if no one else gets injured. So um, I'm also very happy to get him in the late rounds of my fantasy drafts. So I'm just trying to figure out where the targets are going to go. And I don't see Sutton or Judy having enough targets to warrant it unless they start playing better than they have been in the past, which Judy, to this point, really hasn't done much in the league so far. It is concerning, Dwayne, that we saw in the year 2020, Teddy Bridgewater produced three top 30 wide receivers in DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson, and Curtis Samuel. Goes to Denver in a wide receiver room that we all really like, and I think a lot of people kind of compared it to Carolina in terms of having weapons all over the place to potentially just get more out of a quarterback than you're expecting. But our thought process was basically it's going to be Sutton or Judy to really benefit from Bridgewater. And yeah, Sutton just got, was getting shut out by the time Judy was back and he wasn't getting targets, but Judy didn't exactly do anything with it either. The answer ended up being either Tim Patrick or just more likely. No, like don't play any of these guys. Do you think there's a chance Dwayne that we're overrating kind of this Broncos offense? And I don't know, man, maybe Russell Wilson, maybe the guy we've seen the last two years is what we should expect more so moving forward, as opposed to the guy that we saw, you know, more consistently five, six years ago. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a tough one, you know, so like my thoughts are I don't see the Broncos throwing the ball more to running backs because we know that quarterbacks can also be a major driver, right, of, of, of when the ball gets thrown to the backs, um, you know, unless they're going to do more design screen stuff. But even then, like screens are never like 30 percent of your passing game, right? They're like 5 percent of your passing game. And so when we look at Russ, like he doesn't really throw the backs um, and he's actually had some good receiving backs in his backfield in the past. I think the other thing where like I actually disagree with where we have, um, you know, their plays ranked is, again, we're talking about a division where you're going to have to play against Derek Carr, Justin Herbert, Patrick Mahomes. You're out of division schedules, then going to include Matthew Stafford. Then you're also going to, have to play a good 49ers team. 
And then, you know, you're going to have to turn around and play Kyler Murray and the Cardinals. So it's going to, there's just going to be such an opportunity for shootouts. I think we're going to see more plays for the Broncos this year. I think you're going to see more passing plays than what we would typically expect from this particular coaching staff, which I do think would like to be pass balanced if we were picking a Madden playbook, right? You know, which in the league today, if we're counting it, if we're counting every drop back as a pass play, it'd be like 60 40. But I think it could be a little bit more than that just because of the schedule that this team is going to have to play. And so where I do agree, you know, with Nathan, I, like I don't think either, you know, Sutton and I mentioned this a minute ago, but I don't think Sutton or Judy are slam dunks as far as talent profiles. The, the pass I will give Judy is he's just been hurt. You know, yeah. last year, I mean, we had the small sample where he was off to the great start, get the high ankle sprain. Like, you know, when you talk to athletes and you hear, you know, what the high ankle sprain does, like it can just derail your whole season. Like we think of it as, oh, I got an ankle sprain. Like, you know, the one we get in the driveway, you know, like they're just, you know, playing a game of pig with our kid, you know, <laughs> not really moving or anything. Like to just trip on some gravel or something stupid. Like these are severe injuries. Um, and then you're trying to come back and play at the very highest level. Like I'm still encouraged by Judy overall because he's still a first round talent. We've seen it on the tape, how well he can separate. He's had some drop issues, but typically drops are not sticky. So I, I like Judy the most of the two because his ADP is more reasonable, right? Um, yeah. Sutton at this point, like especially if you're playing at the FFPC. Thanks, Fantasy Mojo, for your ADP, di- ADP data. Round three, every freaking draft, Cortland Sutton's a round three pick. I think, I think that is projecting Cortland Sutton to be DK Metcalf, and I think that's a mistake. I, I yeah. think that that is a mistake, people that are doing that with Cortland Sutton. Could it pay off? Yeah, because we've seen, e- even if the Broncos don't throw as much, the, the beauty of the downside is we've seen Russ really support, you know, two receivers for how long and offenses that really didn't throw the ball, that didn't run that many plays in Seattle. So to me, the floor is still pretty good, but I will say Cortland Sutton is not DK Metcalf, right? And I don't think you could even say Jerry Judy's Tyler Lockett, you know, at this point. So that's kind of where I stand on him. Like Judy, where he is at ADP. I like Cortland Sutton, where he's at at ADP on ESPN. Like he's going round six, <laughs> round six. Love Cortland Sutton at that range. Over an FFPC where people are just jamming in him, jamming him every time they can in round three, I think that's a bit ambitious. As you said before, you know, a target from Josh Allen can be worth a little bit more from uh, someone like Baker Mayfield or Geno Smith. If you want to go there, everyone, but leave Geno, you know, th- we've left Brittany alone. I tried leave, to leave him alone and you just leave Geno alone. Okay. <laughs> I was the one that went back there now. I'm sorry, Geno. Okay. But it does make some sense with Russ. So wait, we're going to be in week one mode next week. Can you just give us the mm-hmm. AFC West 50 point total stat? Like one, one more time for old time sake. <laughs> 56% of the games right now over on Superbook that are projected for 50 points or, or more. And this is only through week 17 because I was doing it for best ballers. So you guys have to go look at week 18. But 56% of the games, period, across the whole NFL belong to the AFC and NFC West. It is going to be shootout after shootout after shootout. It's just an incestuous, an incestuous you know, thing where they're just playing each other over and over. It's just, it's, it's going to be fun, man. It, the, the, hey, late. If you're playing in DFS, all it means is just save all your ammo for the late games. <laughs> it's gonna they're gonna be destroying like every slate. Every single, you know, four four fifteen Eastern starts just gonna have a game total of like fifty-five and a half. I I think you're right, Dwayne, when you were saying that there has to be some sort of record. Obviously, it's kind of hard to go back and see what every weekly over under was set up before the season started if one of you out there has that sort of data uh go ahead but as i'm sure you'll continue to do this study you know in uh future years Dwayne, i do think you know even in 10 years from now we could be looking back and just oh my remember remember the afc west in 2022 <laughs> man all those weekly shootouts going on so 
Fair points, Nathan. Now, Dwayne, you're a little bit on the hot seat, but I got a layup for you here. Amon Ross St. Brown, the sun god himself. Your 39th player overall, wide receiver 19 off the board. We've said before, man, solve your life's problems by drafting Amon Ross St. Brown. Let the people know why even sometimes in the right draft, round four is an acceptable range for the sun god himself. Yeah, so the biggest question I had about Amon Ross St. Brown heading into this preseason, and you and I talked about it, you know, we actually did that. Hey, here's our biggest question for every team. It was, is he going to stay on the field when they leave 11 personnel, right? Because last year, um, I know a lot of people are like, oh, well, Hawkinson was gone and DeAndre Swift was gone. And those things are true. And that does, you know, when you got less people to throw to, if you're talented, like Amon Ross St. Brown, you can demand more targets. Um, but the thing that worried me was, well, what if for some reason now, because they added DJ Chark, they drafted Jamison Williams, they brought back Josh Reynolds. What if they just see him as a slot receiver? And if you look at Detroit, like they're a team that likes to be really multiple, like what the Saints used to do, which is where Dan Campbell comes from. That's his roots, right? And so they like to run, you know, the 12 personnel. They like to come out, you know, and do the knee biting ankle, you know, the, the, <laughs> the knee biting Ian. They like to come out, you know, and like, you know, you could be missing an ass cheek and only have three fingers and they're still going to, what does he say? Bury you, even though they're in the water. I don't know. I get lost when I listen to Dan Campbell, but I still like him. I can't help but get pumped up when I hear him talking and that vein sticking out of his neck. But with St. <laughs> Brown, I was just worried like, man, well, if he does get held to just slot work, like that could mean he's only out there for like 70% of the routes. And so what we saw this preseason in the limited time, we got to see him on Ross St. Brown out there. He was pretty much out there all the time he did rotate a couple times in 12 personnel um with josh reynolds so i mean he's not going to be like a 95 percent guy but i still think he's pretty safe to be over 85 percent target participation and in the end of the day that like is really all i needed to see um, because like if you just go back historically and you look at the pff passing grades for rookies there's a lot of data points for amon ross st brown but if you just want one in a nutshell that's really it. Just go back and look at how these other receivers have gone on to perform. If they've had that 80.0 or better PFF receiving grade, you know, as rookies. So I'll just give you a quick list Ian, and this one is 75 plus or more. So Odell Beckham Jr., Terry McLaurin, Michael Thomas, Mike Evans, Keenan Allen, AJ Brown, Tyreek Hill, Doug Baldwin. Okay. And this caught Doug Baldwin before he ever broke out. This caught Tyreek Hill before he ever broke out as a fantasy asset. Some of these, the easiest way to find future fantasy producers is just to go find guys that have already produced fantasy points. But then we look for other metrics. They're like, well, what are, what are maybe some things that can tell us about someone that hasn't broken out yet? And that's what this metric's really good for, even though technically Amon Ra already broke out. Um, but if you look at Chris Godwin, caught him before his breakout in his rookie season. He had an 80.3 PFF receiving grade. Cooper Cup, Stefan Diggs, Juju Smith-Schuster, Jarvis Landry, Hunter Renfro, it caught Hunter Renfro before Hunter. Everybody says Hunter Renfro sucks, and he busts out for wide receiver one season. You might want to tap the brakes. Tyler Lockett and A.J. Green. That's pretty damn good company as far as I'm concerned. So the thing I look at with Amon Ra, his ceiling, I think his ceiling is Jared Goff's year in 2019 with Cooper Cup. Yeah, Like he's playing the Cooper Cup role. He actually comps very closely to Cooper Cup across all these data points. And people remember back then, people, oh, man, Cooper Cup plays a slot, not on the field enough, blah, blah, blah. Robert Wood's going to take targets. Brandon Cook's going to take targets. What do you do? Wide receiver four finish overall. Jared Goff can't throw the football. What did, what did Jared Goff do? I think he was, I think he supported three top 36 fantasy performers that, that year at wide receiver. So I love Amon Ross St. Brown. And just, guys, you got to fade this noise about people talking about the Hawkinson and Swift stuff. Here's the thing. You know how many receivers have had a chance with everybody else on their roster injured 
to just come out and dominate with 30% target shares. There's a ton. And guess what? 99% of them can't do what Amon Ross St. Brown did. You have to actually be good at the game of football because guess what? The guys on the other side, they actually want to win their game. And if you're all that they have, they're going to take you away, especially after a couple of weeks of this. And all of a sudden the other coach, you know, Ian, you watch film, you're usually watching two or three games of film, you know, on your opponent, the most three previous games. And all of a sudden you're like, who's this for? And you know, coaches are who's 14. We've got to cover 14. Like, so it's just kind of, it's, it's kind of silly to me, honestly, you know, what people have done, you know, with the Amon Ross St. Brown argument, like he's just a very talented player that should have been drafted sooner than he was. Um, you know, he was a fourth round pick last year. Some of the, uh, urban Meyer slander, you know, is getting, maybe getting a bit <laughs> too much. Maybe it wasn't, but that who's this 99 guy in the Rams. That that's still just one of the funnier, uh, I doesn't think, know uh, who Aaron Donald is. What are you doing in this league? <laughs> Just that, that was the one urban thing that just absolutely slayed me this offseason. But uh, great points all around. And yeah, we don't expect him to be the wide receiver too behind only Cooper Cup like he was during the final six weeks of last season. But it's pretty cool that we know that he can have a six week stretch where he is the second most productive receiver in all of fantasy football. Not saying it's going to happen again, but my goodness, we don't have to draft him like that. Don't be afraid to take him far closer to his floor than his ceiling. Guys, one final thing. Dwayne, is there any other hateful insult or something you want to get off your chest to uh, Al Lazard and his relatives before we get out of here? No, I actually want to take this moment to um, tell them that I love them, and I actually hope that Alan Lazard succeeds. Wow. You know, all, all the joking aside, I know we have a fun time. It's just me looking at the numbers. Like, if Alan Lazard breaks out this year, folks, I do not care that he gets to play with Aaron Rodgers. He's already been playing with Aaron Rodgers. I do not care that Devontae Adams is gone. Do you think that this team just decided not to throw to Alan Lazard just because they had Devontae Adams? Like, there's the, the wide receiver two position's been open in Green Bay for how many years in a row, right? The same argument for MVS, and people have chilled on MVS. They're like, you know, he's around 10, 11 pick. That's where Alan Lazard should be going. Fine, you want to take him in round nine because you think some of the rookies, you know, you're not as crazy about them. That's okay, too. Like going wide, going round six, like that's just in my opinion, you know, round five in some drafts, it's too much. Like I will say, his visor looks kick ass. Like I saw him in that <laughs> visor the other day, and I, I I was waiting on a tweet from Ian, you know, like calling me, you know, to the table based on just the swag factor. Um, but look, he's just over four years, he's never shown any. He's not hit any of the indicators we want as far as breakouts. He's not done it in fantasy points. He's not done it in yards per route run. He's not done it in targets per route run. He's not done it in PFF receiving grade. PFF receiving grade is designed to separate Alan Lazard from every all the other factors. Like that's what it's designed to do. And he has not been able to even get better than a wide receiver six PFF receiving grade if you're equating receiver grades like to fantasy performances since 2011. So could it happen? Yes. It could happen, but I think it's going to be, it's an outlier. So I'm just not taking a swing. Nathan, similar thoughts, or do you think Lazard is going to tell all of us nerds to go shove it this year and just ball the hell out? Cause he's Aaron Rodgers potential wide receiver one. Uh, here I was hoping I'd get an apology from Dwayne rather than, uh, oh. he does well. And then saying more bad things about him. But um, I do think, Oh, the one argument that I would, mentioned with Lazard is he has suffered a number of injuries throughout his career. So I think that has definitely hurt him at times. He's had on very small sample sizes, some games where he's done well. And then shortly after those games has suffered an injury and then been out for a period of time. So I think that definitely contributes to it. Like, I don't think he's going to have an excellent season, but I think he'll see plenty of targets that 
he will have enough fantasy value based on where he's getting picked that, yeah, I don't think he'll be a top 10 wide receiver, but I think someone like him where he's going to see a lot of targets is good to pair with players where you're taking chances on a bunch of rookies, on a bunch of first-year players where maybe those players don't work out this year and at least you have someone that should be seeing enough targets that you can stick in your starting lineup. See, but that's the problem. You have to take him three rounds ahead of those. Like, if he was going in the same range as those guys, I would be down to, like, mix him in. But I have one question for you, Nathan. Are targets earned? It depends on the situation. Oh, it depends, Dwayne. It doesn't. Got got your ass. (laughs) It doesn't depend. You can generate targets up to 15, 16%. Once you get past that, you actually have to be good. Like, it's like, and that's kind of where Lazard is. Like, even if we go back to his targets per route run, which gets rid of all the time he missed, so we don't have to look at target shares, like, he's never been able to do it. Like, so I get it, like, with the injuries and stuff, but at the end of the day, like, he, he missed games, and then he should have been, you know, healthier whenever he came back. So, I don't know. Like, yeah, I, I'm a thousand percent believer in that targets are earned. I believe I believe there's a threshold that you can design and you can get to a player. But once the other team decides that, okay, you're the number one, and now we're going to treat you like it, like you have to be really good to make that work. And I, like Aaron Rodgers can't fix that on his own. Nathan, resident Packers fan here. We have the, the one thing that Dwayne brought up that I do struggle to get past as much as I would love Dwayne, to sh- as much as I love always telling Dwayne just to shove it. Oh, if I'm wrong this year, guys, my life's over. And like, I have to leave the <laughs> industry just so you know. So that's what's on the line here. But they're really, we, we've seen Rogers with Jordy and Cobb and Greg Jennings and Jordy. Like, it's not like that Rogers has gone his entire career without having two high end wide receivers at the same time. In fantasy, we did not see that with Lazar. We did not see that with MVS. Maybe their new situations work out, but it does, uh, you know, certainly working against them. As awesome as that comp group that Dwayne read a couple minutes ago about Amon Ross St. Brown is, if you try to take the similar comp group for Lazard or MBS, uh, you're not going to really get too many uh, hits there. You don't want to hear it. You don't want to hear it. It's not good. Fellas, we have... Rashard Matthews. (laughs) There's a chance. Rashard Matthews is the one. He's the one guy that I found that basically comped to Lazard that had that late breakout. Um who was the court? Was that that was with Mariota too? So you definitely yeah. could argue that Aaron Rodgers is way better than Mariota. So I'll give you that. This is actually just a Drake London discussion now. But okay, Nathan, Uh-oh. one bold call for the wide receiver position in 2022 before we get out of here. One bold call. Let's see. Uh DJ Moore will be a top five wide receiver. Ooh. You gotta you wanna say anything else? Or you just yeah. sure. um, <laughs> uh, that, um he's been incredibly consistent with his yards and not having enough touchdowns, but I think having Baker Mayfield will be a huge help. Uh more one of his best assets as he's a deep threat wide receiver with Sam Darnold, who could not throw the ball deep. So um he has not been able to take advantage of that where Baker Mayfield has been fairly accurate on his deep passes, uh, one of the top three most accurate over the past couple of years. So I think Having Mayfield will lead to a lot more big plays out of more and therefore a lot more fantasy points. Sadly, the best quarterback that DJ Moore will play with is Baker Mayfield. That's not Cam Newton slander, late career, injured shoulder Cam Newton. I'm not counting him. So sadly, Baker's the best for DJ and Carson Wentz is going to be the best wide receiver, that Terry, best quarterback that Terry McLaurin has ever caught passes from as well at the professional level. Dwayne, one wide receiver bull call take for 2022. I mean, I'll just stick with Amon Ross St. Brown. He finishes as a top 12 wide receiver in PPR. Ooh. 
All right. I think you've already said enough about the sun God himself. I will say that Rondale Moore finishes as a top 24 wide receiver in full PPR 105 to 110 targets with, you know, a nice little touchdown spike. And we actually see him emerge as the Curtis Samuel, Robert Woods type of wide receiver that we look up at the end of the year and go, Oh shit. He got 25 rush attempts throughout this uh, bitch as well. So Rondale Moore, someone that, yeah, we got the undisclosed injuries. So it is one of those things where we don't exactly know how healthy he's going to be in week one. Kind of wish, uh, I don't know, that was brought to our attention a little bit before uh, yesterday, seemingly, but maybe, maybe it was, and I just wasn't doing quite as much due diligence as I should have been. Either way, Rondale Moore, Isaiah McKenzie, despite these late, you know, offseason nicks and bruises, obviously not ideal. I'm not going to completely leave out the potential for a wide receiver three to even wide receiver two to emerge behind the obvious, one, obvious number one in both the Arizona Cardinals and Buffalo Bills offense. We love Josh Allen. We love Kylo Murray. Don't be afraid to love some of those receivers that they will also be throwing the ball a lot to other than just Hopkins, Hollywood, and Stefan Diggs. Fellas, it's going to wrap everything up. Hope you guys enjoyed the sleeper mock drafts that we had going on here on YouTube as we were discussing all things wide receiver. Nathan, anything else you want to get off your chest and let the people know what you got over at PFF.com this week? I have probably five plus articles going up each day with everything that you would want to know to get you ready for your fantasy drafts this week and all the rankings and sleepers and strategy that you need just to reference like nathan actually is not kidding we have like our uh, consumer team chat basically that uh, we all enter our articles in at the beginning of every week and i think nate's uh, entry was the first time I've ever had to actually scroll down like to actually get the <laughs> entire thing on a page so super flex rankings top 300 standard rankings half ppr nathan's my guys wide receiver ranks and tiers running back ranks and tiers i mean that's just in the last 18 hours and i skipped a few of them so truly all the top pff fantasy content you can find go check out nathan yonke over at pff.com Dwayne, final words what do you got pff.com uh we got my guys we got fades we got all the updates um you know we've been covering the strategy stuff so similar now i'm not doing five a day so you know <laughs> i i don't i don't bleed green like nathan i man i gotta like figure out like what he's doing um but um i need some of that nathan just send me send me some but i just want to end i just want to end the podcast with saying look if Al Lazard finishes as a top 24 receiver, like I'll come on this podcast next year with Nathan and I will wear a cheese head for the entire, the entire <laughs> podcast. Cause it's what I deserve. You know, if that happens, that'll be even better than the, I'm not uh, even asking for anything back from Nathan. Like I'm just offering this up. So that'll be better than the famous cowboy hat episode that I believe Nathan <laughs> was on here as well with fantastic stuff. If I had to guess Nathan's article, I'll put, I think uh, in the, you know that the, he's got the doors behind him right now. There's actually like 12 interns just absolutely busting their ass that <laughs> PFF doesn't know about. They're not being paid. Nathan, you know, throws him a couple scraps of meat every night before he locks them back in the basement. I don't know. Either way, PFF.com. Check out everything from Nate, Dwayne, myself, and with the new Pro Football Focus app, we finally have our cool ass quad force in there. Efficiency. Workload, the offensive environment, strength of schedule. We always talk about these four things in some way, shape, or form when evaluating players. And we make, you know, sacrifices. Okay, other than the top 10, 12 players, not everyone's going to check all these boxes. So what do we do? We take on someone like A.J. Brown that has completely awesome talent maybe we're a little bit worried about the volume but again with our new quad force we basically just have a cool it's a quad forcing it's like a graph that you can click on and see the underlying premium stats and also just i think have a chance to see the whole picture for yourself and then once you have the whole picture in mind then you can go ahead and make your analysis our ranks and analysis there as well so basically with the pff app 
you go to a player, you can see what me, Nathan, Dwayne, and Kevin Cole think about them. And if you say, what the hell do these guys know? I'm the freaking gangster here. I know I know who the best fantasy players are. Great. Scroll down and you can get all of the metrics that anyone's going to want to look at to try to make an educated fantasy decision. Your one-stop shop for all things fantasy football. Go get the Pro Football Focus app now available in the Apple Store. For Nathan, for Dwayne, I'm Ian. Thanks so much for tuning in to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. And until next time, take care, everybody.